0: Thanks, Mike. Um, If you're visiting us this afternoon, you might be listening to that thinking, oh, maybe I've got a bit of catching up to do. Um, You are very welcome to go and listen to the podcast, um, but we pray that as we open this passage of Scripture today, um, that by God's help, He speaks to us. So let me pray um, for His help. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture that um, is difficult. Um, Father, thank you that as we open it, you speak to us. And we pray now that you'd help us all listen. Father, would you help me to speak? And Father, we ask that you, by your Spirit, would help us to understand what this wisdom looks like. Amen. I've only crashed a car once, but it wasn't a pleasant experience. And I'm really not trying to do it again in a hurry. I was about 17. I had passed my driving test just a couple of months and it was a snow day I was in upper uh, probably lower six actually and I was getting ready for some exams snow day means snow day even though I was ready for exams let's enjoy it get out so I got out in the car um, and I'm going between Letchworth my hometown and Baldock um, the town of my school to go and see some friends and I went down this winding a road national speed limit not gritted Now I wasn't going as fast as I could have done but I was definitely going too fast um, for the conditions and this road um, steeply sloped down into the town and went round a bend and as I was in the car I was going down this steep slope approaching the bend except I didn't make the bend In the snow I carried on I went into a fence into the fence A bouncy fence took me back into the middle of the road and down this sloped, snowy A road, I span and span, probably about three times until I came to a ditch on the side of the road and I stopped. No one else was involved, there was no other car, no one was hurt, there was pretty much no damage, but I was really shaken up. The scariest thing was coming to a stop And thinking, I was completely out of control for the last 25 seconds. And actually, I couldn't leave it. But weeks afterwards, I went through in my mind. What would have happened if there was another car? I was out of control. A pedestrian. What would have happened? I was out of control. And I couldn't let it go. I had visions of what might have happened. That horrible moment of, as I was traveling, not knowing what to do, not knowing if I could do anything, being out of control. See, in Ecclesiastes, we've looked at how the circumstances of life sometimes can feel completely out of our control. We've seen that we can't grasp at things to make gains in this world. We've seen how our current circumstances, well, In light of them, we should want to revere God and receive them from him. We've seen last week that we're not designed to live for our own gain. We're designed to fear God and love others. But in this section, we see what it's like to live in this world that eludes our control. We see what role wisdom has to play in navigating a world that so often feels like we're out of control. We've seen a few times through the book that death shows that life can't be grasped at. Death prevents real gain in this world. But here in chapter 7, we see actually it's a lens by which we can live. Not just deter us from living in a certain way. See, Solomon tried to use wisdom as the way in which he would gain in this world. But quickly, he saw... That it was just the same as the other ways he tried to gain in this world. It was like grasping at bubbles. It looked appealing at the outset, but as soon as he went to go for it, it evaded his grasp. It might look like wisdom offers so much in this world, but it slips through our fingers. So we're going to see the perspective that death brings to wisdom. Some of the value in wisdom. And then wisdom's clear limitations. Firstly, so, wisdom must acknowledge death. What we learn about death is the basis for wisdom now. We've seen already so far in Ecclesiastes that it's crucial that we recognize one statistic. 100% of people die. And no one leaves this life with their achievements or the things that they've acquired. But actually, the day of our death can be a friend in advance. Not just stopping us from living that way, but helping us to live wisely. Some people have described death as the great evangelist. He looks us in the eye and asks us to look right back with a steady gaze and allow him to shape our present circumstance. See, the very limitation that death brings instructs us about this life it's the lens by which we see what's going on now and that lens is not just to show us how futile the way of living Solomon tried in various different ways but actually how we can live wisely so how does this passage describe that lens look down at verse 1 a good name is better than fine perfume the day of death is better than the day of birth what do those two things have in common well they're better when they're the lens by which you view a person there's no point smelling like a bed of roses or fine aftershave if someone actually has an emotional stench that comes over them when they think about you what does a fine perfume tell you about someone well not very much it offers much but it doesn't tell you much but a name a built up reputation something that's all about a person brings a picture of what a person is really like similarly if the day of death is the lens the fulfillment of a life then that is better than the potential not because death is better than birth but because As some people have said, a coffin is a better preacher than a cot. The coffin tells you more about a person's life. It tells you more about what someone is like than their cot. The day of death brings all clarity. See, how many times have you heard a parent say about their child, They're such a good baby. They are, they're just a good baby. But what does that really tell you? Not much, really, is it? What does that mean? Ah, probably they sleep as much as I'd like them to. They're quite quiet. Sure, there's great potential in new life, but just a couple of months of a baby's life that can't talk, can't offer much. But how different is it when you go to a funeral of someone who's had a brilliant life? Someone who's selfless, someone who's loved, someone who plenty of people have got great things to say about them their sadness of course, but how much more weight does it carry when you say he was a good man when someone's died and you've seen the breadth of their life because the day of death is a clearer lens than the day of birth. Look at verse 2, it's better to go to a house of mourning Than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. How often do people flee the reality of death in our world? All the time, isn't it? People hate talking about death. But it's amazing. As much as we avoid it, it doesn't change the reality. There's no difference about whether it's coming our way or not. But all those limitations of life become obvious when death is there approaching how does someone live in light of it then? you don't see a 90 year old that is desperate to become rich and famous do you? it's ridiculous if you avoid death like the plague for the sake of pleasures now Ecclesiastes wants to say it's foolish because it's coming Remember it's Solomon writing He's saying I've been to some parties you know You would not believe what was going on I'd love to have seen what was going on um, In the Liverpool dressing room after the Champions League final last night What were the players doing? How amazing would it have been? But Solomon He was the top dog at the time He'd have seen some parties And what he's saying, I've had all the wealth, all the alcohol, all the women, all the experience, but I tell you this, I've never seen someone indulging in all of that who's got the answers to life's big problems. Look at verse 5. It's better to listen to the wise person who has a handle on the the limitations of their life and a right perspective of their mortality than it is to get sucked along with the crowd that says indulge now see someone who lives with the reality of death it sounds pretty morbid doesn't it? someone who lives with it in mind someone who lives with that reality but it's not morbid or pessimistic that person shows depth of soul and character they show a grasp on reality they can live now in the moment in light of what's coming with no regret No fear. See, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. It's an invitation to be a person who realizes that living a good life now, living the best life now, means preparing to die a good death. A person like that is fully alive, engaged with the world, at peace with what's to come. At peace with the fact that at some point God will call time on this world. See, death teaches people in the most stark way possible that circumstances in life do elude our control. We have to accept that. But they are completely in God's control. Maybe that kind of peace about death, complete peace that it's coming, maybe that's something that you don't feel like you have. Well, will you let death teach you the limitations of life see it would be the most pointless thing to say yeah death I believe it's coming yeah death it does ultimately elude my control but for now I'm going to do all I can to gain in this world if Solomon's taught us anything it's not to do that but will you let the reality of death shape how you view life now shape what you pray for shape the goals you have shape what you long for what you pray for what you want god to do in your life wisdom must acknowledge death and we mustn't shy away from it secondly and wisdom is precious look at verse 11 wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Wisdom is like money. It brings security. But look at how he explains it. Verse 14. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. See, People love money, don't they? Because it's a safety net. When the unforeseeable comes, money so often bails us out. When the car breaks down, when you drop your phone, when the kids need new shoes, if you've got money, it bails you out. When the circumstances are tough, money can help. But in the light of the rest of the book, Wisdom says that the circumstances that come at you in life, the safety net isn't money. And actually we don't have control. But God does. Have a look at verse 14. God has made one as well as the other. Good and bad. See, when bad circumstances come our way, wisdom accepts that they come from God, and so trust that God will help us. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of all things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Wisdom is precious because it genuinely makes people attractive. It makes people attractive in the way they face the circumstances of life. When you live in this wisdom that Ecclesiastes teaches us to revere God and receive our circumstances from Him, when we face those hard circumstances, when we face even the good things, the way we face them will be genuinely attractive to the people around us. That previous description of having a rational view of death without fear It's attractive, isn't it? When you see someone on death's door saying, I'm ready to die, I'm not scared. You just go, brilliant. How brilliant would it be to be that sure? Those who have a godly wisdom will have bright faces. It will be attractive. They'll have a peace that transcends understanding. People will want to ask why they're that sure. One of the members of um, a previous church of mine um, was someone I l- really looked up to. He was a great sports person. He was a skier, footballer, cricketer, runner. Like, he was brilliant. And I loved playing with him because I'd look at him and he was brilliant and he'd just get you involved. He was a head teacher of a local school. He was well known. But he was hit by a degenerative disease and quickly... All the things that people might have said he lived for were taken away from him one by one. He couldn't work as a head teacher. He couldn't do exercise. He was unable to live by himself. He had to have people wash him. He eventually couldn't talk. He was given a portable computer that he would type little sentences in and they'd read it in an electronic voice. He was cared for by a family at church. They did everything for him. He was everything seemed to be taken away from him, including his dignity. But he didn't lose his love of life. He didn't lose a cheeky grin. And he didn't lose his hope. What was remarkable was going to see him in the final days where he was just almost a shadow of what people saw of him before. And he'd type into his little computer with a grin on his face and I just remember, I was probably 15 at the time, and he was just so amazingly sure that in those circumstances, God was in control. It was remarkable that so few words as he typed into a little machine with a smile on his face was so powerful. And I looked at him with a beaming grin on my face because it was amazing. His face shined because he was wise because he knew what was to come the previous chapter says whoever fears God will avoid all extremes wisdom is precious in this world because it helps people navigate life under the sun as described in Ecclesiastes life in this world life with its ups and downs life with its bad circumstances, life with its joys. But Christian wisdom will enable God's people to not just cope but flourish in light of those circumstances. When things feel like they're pressing in, when it feels so hard, they won't always be easy. They won't. But God's people will be able to trust that God is in control and trust that he has the circumstances in our life under control. I wonder, is that something that you struggle with? Let me ask you two questions. Do you truly trust that you receive your current circumstances from God? Do you have a right reverent fear of God that means you see his greatness rather than your own weakness in those circumstances Wisdom (laughs) must acknowledge death A right view of death is foundational to how we live wisely in his world Wisdom is precious It helps the follower of God navigate life under the sun But part of flourishing in this world is acknowledging that wisdom is limited. Wisdom can do nothing about death. Look at verse 23. This is Solomon saying he used wisdom to test everything he saw in the world. But he was left bewildered. It was beyond him. See, in the very same way that work and wealth, the things that we try our hand to, just as Solomon did, well, death puts wisdom in its place. Wisdom can't be used to control or master life. Wisdom can't be used to grasp but control. Wisdom can't be used to gain in this world. It's not that wisdom is useless. It's precious in how we might navigate life in God's world, but it is limited. So what Solomon's saying in this chapter is I got wisdom wrong. Wisdom is precious, but it must know its limitations. He reinforces two limitations that we've seen through the book already that come because of a Genesis 3 cursed world that we talked about previously. Wisdom is subject to the sin that entered the world and wisdom is subject to death that entered the world. And then he fleshes that out into some of the ways that we get wisdom wrong. We've seen already how Wisdom can ultimately do nothing about the reality of death in this world, but wisdom can also do nothing about the reality of sin in this world. Look at verse 27 to 29. Combining wisdom, pulling together resources, trying as hard as we can together, still won't help us master life. See what he's saying there as he says, not one woman and only one man. He's saying that he searched around to find someone else, but no one else, no one at all else was upright, was ready to use wisdom not for their own gain. It's just describing how people use wisdom for their own selfish ends. Look at verse 15. might seem odd. The righteous... Perishing in their righteousness. That doesn't sound like a very Bible phrase to remember. Do not be over-righteous, it says just below. Well, actually, the Hebrew, the original, it says something slightly different and it just helps us to understand it slightly more. And basically what it says is it uses the same word, gain. As it is used elsewhere in the book so it's basically saying don't use righteousness to gain don't use it to gain and so it fits exactly with the rest of the book people in their sin try and use wisdom to gain in this world so how could you be over righteous how could you be over wise well actually it's just saying don't use it for your own gain Don't use it to try and master life. That's exactly what the rest of Ecclesiastes warns against. Wisdom isn't for gain in this world. And that's what those four examples are. Just look up to verse 7, 8, 9 and 10. Money, don't be someone who can be won over by money. Patience, anything worthwhile takes time. Anger, don't be quickly provoked. Nostalgia, you could say. Asking why things were better before. Denying the reality of God in the moment. See, these four things are ways in which we try to escape the reality in the current circumstance. Because they're like saying, in this moment, I don't trust that God's got it under control. And they happen... When we overvalue gain in this world Just look Extortion, the first one What's it doing? It's seeking to gain financially And escaping the work that's needed to do so Impatience It's seeking to gain now and escape waiting Anger It's seeking to gain control And escape coping without it Nostalgia It's seeking to gain that experience Without realising that it can't happen in the moment see when we try and gain in this way we're going about it wrongly what we're longing for is a quick escape to somewhere else in the world some other thing without doing what's required what we're ultimately longing for is an ultimate answer here's what C.S. Lewis writes talking about this little bit the books Or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us, if we trust to them For it was not in them, it only came through them And what came through them was longing These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past Are good images of what we really desire But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols breaking the hearts of worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only a scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country far away that we have not yet visited. As chapter 3 said, we have eternity placed in our hearts. We long for a place where those things will be found perfectly. The wise person doesn't, long to escape reality for another point in this life by using wisdom to gain in this world the wise person accepts current circumstances in the knowledge that in one day all things will be renewed don't try to be wise for wisdom's sake to gain in this world that's what Solomon says but instead he commends the enjoyment of life now because joy will accompany our circumstance in that hard work look at verse 15 joy will accompany us in our toil in what God has given us see it's a warning really don't fall into the trap of thinking if you make wise and godly decisions then you'll gain in this world see so often we fall into that trap don't we so often we think If I make a wise, informed, godly decision, surely God will honour that, right? Surely God will bless that, right? If I make a wise, informed decision about how to parent, then my children will be automatically super successful, right? If I make informed, wise decisions about how to find a partner, then surely the right person will come along, right? If I make an informed, godly, wise decision about the right way to go about my work, surely God will honour that and give me multiple jobs, pay rises, right? If I make informed decisions about how to choose a family, how to bring up a family, surely God will want to bless me in that way, right? See, there's a very real danger, that's what we do. We listen to this wisdom and we take it and we still want to gain in this world. But we end up with with the same mentality as before. See, we don't acquire wisdom for the sake of gain in this world. It's a real challenge to our motivation, isn't it? Do we go to look at the Bible? To find out how to be wise in order that we might revere God and receive from Him? Or do we go to the Bible and look at how to be wise that we might have a successful career, have a happy family, so that we might strive and thrive in the way that we operate? See, wisdom is precious, but it is limited. And there's a very real reality that we get it wrong so often. Don't grasp at wisdom to try and work out how this world operates. Look at um, the end of chapter 8. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. What Solomon's saying, wisdom ultimately it is so limited not just in how we use it but it is limited its purpose is not that we work all things out now its purpose is not that we get justice now its purpose is that we receive and revere from God rightly wisdom doesn't overcome death it doesn't give us specific answers all the time it doesn't deal with justice now it doesn't always deal with sin now but God does and wisdom helps us to trust God? Will you recognize the limitation of human wisdom? Will you not go about trying to find justice, trying to find success through wisdom? But will you trust in him? Let me pray. Father, thank you. That you've given us information, you've given us promises, you've given us lots in your word about how we might live wisely. Father, thank you that that's precious. Father, please might you help us to recognize that you are in complete control and not us, that we can't master life through wisdom. Father, please. May you help us to desire to trust in your control above all things and that you might give us wisdom that accepts your control and that trusts in you and that we might long for a day where all those things, all those struggles, all those circumstances that we don't understand now will be delivered and that we will understand. Amen. And we're going to sing. Archie, if you could just put the last verse of this song coming up. Yeah. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who reigns above, whose wisdom is my perfect peace, whose every thought is love. Isn't that so clear from what we've looked at? That we'll have peace when we recognize God's perfect wisdom in how we face life.